welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast, the tough-talking, advice-giving show by the not-really-mean, mean lady, Susan J. Elliott. Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Me Lady Talking Podcast. And I have to apologize to you guys. And I changed computers a few weeks ago. There was some issue with my professional microphone that I didn't realize. When I was going into record, it was saying USB microphone, where on the Mac, it would identify the make and model of the professional microphone. On Windows, it looked like it was just saying USB. And I was going with it, but apparently, and I only found this out, I was mucking around with some plugins and I didn't feel like getting up and going to where I keep my professional microphone set up. It's on a boom arm and it's on a shock mount and all these things to keep noise and things like that away. And I didn't feel like dealing with it. So I was recording from the laptop itself and I realized that the settings were the same. It was still calling it a USB microphone. And I thought, what in the world is going on here? Anyway, long story short, very, very long story. That happened over many, 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 many hours. I have two professional microphones. One that was on the boom arm with the shock mount has apparently taken too many hits to the head and wasn't working. I had other cables and I had another microphone and I was able to get it going and it take a few hours for me to A, figure all this out and B, figure out what was going on and, and then C, how to fix it. I apologize for the past few podcasts that have been recorded on the computer audio, which is probably the last place you'd ever want to be recording your podcast. So if there's any kind of audio issues, I apologize for that. And I'm recording today during the day, and we have some very, very loud birds here. I'm going to try to edit them out, but one of the things that happens is that my neighbors play their television very loud in the evening. So to record a really good, silent podcast with no outside noise, I have to do it late at night. And then I'm worried about, it's springtime, so my windows are open. And I'm worried about waking up the neighbors at, at night. So I was recording last night at about midnight. Got to bed around three or four. Regular insomniac schedule. And so I'm not going to publish those podcasts that I made last night. And I'm just sit here and I'm going to talk like I normally do and see how this goes. Try to remember what it was I was talking about last night. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about is that I'm going to be crowdfunding my next book, When the Person You Love Doesn't Love You, How to Heal Your Attachment Issues, Face Your Rejection, and Find Your Way to Real Love. And I'm going to be announcing that soon, but pushed out the next boot camp a little bit because I've had pneumonia, because I've had these computer issues. And so I decided that I'm going to be writing the book over the summer. I've written about half the book. And if you are going to be part of the crowdfunding effort, you'll get to see the introduction, you'll get to see chapter one, you'll, depending on your level of involvement, you'll get to see different, different parts of the book. But I was thinking, as long as I'm writing the book over the summer, I'm doing this boot camp over the summer, I should really focus in on attachment issues in this boot camp. And I know that at least two people that are going to be joining the boot camp 
have attachment issues as a very overriding thing. And so if you want to take the Getting Past Your Breakup boot camp and you want to do facilitator training, because I have at least one person who wants to do that. I have another person who's asked me about it. I don't know what she's decided. You have to take a regular boot camp with me before you can become a Getting Past Your Breakup facilitator. When I do other boot camps, I can kind of wrap their issues. Like right now I'm doing a codependency boot camp, so I'm wrapping codependency around getting past your breakup, done it with other issues. So what I would be doing with this would be doing a regular boot camp for those who just want a regular boot camp. And then for those who want to hone in on attachment issues, we'll do that because I'm going to be working on it anyway. Now the book is already half written and I've been working on attachment issues for 25 years now. And I have a whole bunch of studies and other people. It's not like I'm going to use this boot camp to put everybody in the book. That's not what's going to happen. But As long as I'm working on it, I can give people who have attachment issues and really want to work on it and heal it, I can really give them attention. I know that at least one person who's going to be joining the boot camp has done a boot camp with me before, and we can actually be doing that. So if you want to join the boot camp, I know I have at least three people already signed up for this boot camp. I haven't sent out the registration forms yet, but three people who have said, yes, I definitely want to do it. If you want to join the boot camp, you could have done a boot camp with me before or not, it doesn't matter. And if you want to heal attachment issues, this is the one to do because I may or may not do this again. I don't know yet. I have an outline for how I'm going to do it. And if you want to join the boot camp in, it's going to be starting the end of June. I encourage you to send mail to Susan at gettingpastyourbreakup.com. That email seems to be working. If you want to be extra, extra careful, send it also to gpyb.com at gmail.com. And if you want to be even triple careful, send it to Mean Lady Talking Podcast at gmail.com. Most of my boot camps sell out and there's usually a waiting list. But this one, I haven't even put the registration up yet. And I have people who said, I, I want in. So if you want in and you want to work on attachment issues or you want to work on regular issues, whichever it is, please send me an email. Please send it to me right away. Okay. Thank you. Welcome to Mean Lady Talking podcast episode 55 and I'm gonna do at least an A and a B last night I was doing an A and a B and I don't know if I'm gonna have energy and the wherewithal to that today but I'm gonna try anyway I have a lot of stuff to talk about you guys you sent me a lot of email and I appreciate it and some of the topics that I'm gonna talk about tonight is stuff that you guys have emailed me asked me questions please continue to do that because I will read some of the emails before I come on the podcast to record and things that settle into my brain cells will shoot out through my mouth. So take your chances, send me email. And even if you don't hear from me, you might hear your subject on a podcast. And because I get a lot of the same subjects from multiple people, we can talk about that. And last week was a big week in court. I had two divorce coaching clients last week. One was I was in court with the other one. I was helping answer Mr. Banana had personality disordered. And I had these two guys, two guys, two co-parents who thought that they were Flea Bailey writing this stuff in briefs and not knowing what the hell they're talking about, not citing to the record, not citing to the law, just spewing stuff out bringing up things that you don't bring out in a modification request, both of them. I was like, are they brothers? Do they know each other? One was in New York, one was in New Jersey. Do they? Do you guys know each other? Because I think you should meet. 
And I think you should maybe go to a support group together. A support group for nana-headed, disordered, crazy people. So what usually happens is that somebody goes into divorce, custody, visitation, child support, whatever it is, they don't realize that the person that they're dealing with is personality disordered and their lawyer doesn't understand it. Even if there's mental health people involved, many times they don't understand it. I know personality disorders mostly from working with former partners of the personality disorder and working in psychiatric services. 25 years of this, most people don't have that kind of experience. I've experienced both as an attorney and as a therapist. So my expertise is very unique and I try to keep my fees low so that people do have access to me. Usually happens is they go into divorce, child custody, visitation, whatever, thinking we're going to do this and it's going to be over with and everything's going to be fine. What usually happens with the personality disorder is they try to litigate you into the ground. And if they happen to have money or their family has money, it's going to be even worse. Because normally personality disorder people have a bunch of enablers around them. And the person who's not personality disorder will come out and think, okay, that's fine. I lost whatever. I can live with this situation. I'll learn how to live with this situation, whatever it is. And then the personality disorder person or the extremely dysfunctional just does all these different things that really either keep you in court or keep you involved. And many times lawyers and even mental health professionals don't know how to deal with it and help the person who is the former partner of the personality disorder. My clients usually come to me as they've had a regular lawyer. And when I say regular lawyer, I mean someone that's steeped in personality disorders. They think that the litigation is over. They just want to go on with their lives. And it just becomes impossible because their ex is just on them all the time. I deal with people in my divorce coaching who either have to figure out how to communicate with the constantly harassing ex or the person who's constantly bringing them back to court. And most of the time, my clients were not prepared for this. They were not prepared to keep going back to court or to have to hire a lawyer to figure out how to communicate with this banana head. So what I usually do is one of two things. I either sit down with somebody, and I've done podcasts on how to do this, so you don't have to hire me to learn how to do it. But many times people will hire me, say, take a look at at my divorce settlement and take a look at this and take a look at that. And now how do I continue to deal with this situation. And I will usually go over it for a few hours and I help them construct different communication. It takes a while. If you have been communicating with the personality disordered, extremely dysfunctional, harassing ex for a while, it's going to take a while for us to kind of reverse the trend of what's been going on. I change a lot of stuff when I go in. And as I've talked about in a lot of the boundary stuff, they up the ante. They make it worse. They basically fan the flames of either a constant harassment or litigation or whatever it is. The other thing that I do is if you are going back to court, even though I'm kind of running litigation, let me look at the papers, let me look at the briefs, I'm going to write the briefs, we're going to figure out how to answer it. To save money, people will present pro se. And there's two advantages to doing that with a divorce coach. When I say divorce coach, I don't mean necessarily me. You could find another divorce coach 
I've done divorce coaching all across the United States and in Canada. So if you hire me as your divorce attorney or your attorney on some matter, whatever it is, it could be not a full-fledged divorce. It could be a part of a divorce or whatever. Or to come in and consult on your case with the attorney that you have now. And I have to enter an appearance in New York. So if you're a divorce coach, if I'm your divorce coach and you're within five to 10 hours of where I live in New York, I will go there and I can help you with that, but I don't have to go there. If you're proceeding pro se or you have an attorney and I'm kind of working behind the scenes, I'm going to be less money. Now in New York, if I am your attorney of record and you have a court case, I have to show up and you have to pay me to show up. And then the court has oversight on what my hours are. If you're if you need to be in court, I need to be in court. And then in many times, I haven't seen too many cases where the court will award attorney fees, but sometimes if they feel that your ex is being vexatious and harassing, they might award attorney fees as a punitive measure. And then I have to submit all of my time to the court. Or if for some reason you and I had a falling out and this has never happened, so don't worry about it with me, but I'm just saying with different things that go on. If you and I had a falling out about hours and you go to the court and you say, my attorney's overcharging me, which nobody has ever, ever said that. Everyone knows I tend to undercharge. I tend to not bill for all the hours that I'm there. But with courts, that can be a problem as well because they don't want you to undercharge because they don't want you to look like you're undercutting the competition. It's not fair to other attorneys. When I'm an attorney of record, when I've entered an appearance in a case, I have to be very strict about my hours. I have to be very strict about charging for my hours. And I really can't work with the flexibility that I can when I'm a divorce coach. And when I'm a divorce coach, I give you the exact same zealous advocacy that I do when I'm your divorce attorney, but I can't stand up and argue in court and open court for you because I'm not the attorney of record. If you're in New York and suddenly you go, you know what, I want you to sit here and argue with me. I will enter an appearance. Everything changes at that point. You still get the same zealous representation, only you get to sit back. But if you're proceeding pro se, there are, there are advantages to that. And if somebody comes to me in New York or Texas or DC or wherever it is and says, I would like you to tell me what would be the pros and cons of hiring as your divorce attorney versus hiring you as a divorce coach, I would tell you that. Also, if you have a, a divorce attorney in another state, I can usually go in what's called pro hoc vici, which is when you go in and you come from another state and they allow you to come in for a limited purpose for one representation. But an attorney in that state has to sponsor you to come in. You can't just like come in on your wing in a prayer. So I give you the same zealous representation, whether I'm a divorce coach or whether I'm your attorney of record. But as your attorney of record, I have to go in, I have to argue in court. When I'm writing briefs for somebody who's being pro se, and I discuss it with them, this is what I'm saying in this, and this is what I'm saying in that. And before you go into court, I give you an outline and I say, okay, this is what we said. This is what they might say. This is what you should say. And I prep the person going into court. And if you are within 10 hours of where I live, I can go to court with you. If you're willing to pay for that, many times in family law, a judge will tell you to go out and talk to a mediator. 
when you're dealing with the personality disorder, you're doing a dance. And I will say, don't say anything. Many mediators will allow you to bring someone into mediation with you. Other times they don't. So if you're in another state, another courtroom, I'm not quite familiar with it. I will often call and say, what's the chances of the judge ordering in to talk to the mediator and come back in? In that case, would I be allowed to sit in the mediation with her if I'm not the attorney of record, if say I'm just a family friend or whatever? So in those instances, I get to sit in mediation and I usually can tell people to stop. And in the case of New York that I was in last week, they went into mediation. The mediator didn't want anybody in there. They were very small rooms in the courthouse and the mediator did not want anybody else in there. So he, the personality disorder person would say something to her. She wouldn't answer. And like I've said, personality disorder people will just keep, they just have the same themes over and over and over again. So we knew that he was going to come around to say whatever it was he said before. So she came out, she conferenced with me. I gave her answers of what to say to go back in. She threw him totally off his game, totally off his game. And it was great. And the mediator didn't seem that thrilled about the constant in and outs, but I didn't really care because the mediator wasn't my client. My client was my client. So the other thing is that if I'm going to have to be strict about billing and my hours as an attorney of record, I'm going to have to get a retainer from you that's going to cover that. And the reason a lot of times why attorneys ask for retainers is is custom in the field. But if you suddenly decide 10 hours into this, I don't want her as my attorney, I can't just get off the case. And it might take a long time for me to get that money from you if you suddenly decide that you don't like me. And that has never happened. I'm just saying why attorneys will ask for a retainer. And one reason is that it's not easy to get off a case. So if the court doesn't let you off a case or you're still doing work, you're still on the case and you haven't been paid, you need to be covered by your retainer. When you're doing divorce coaching, that's not the case. Usually what I tell people is, okay, this is going to take me this many hours. And for these many hours, I can give you this rate. And it usually depends on the case. It usually depends on how familiar I am with the state and the laws. And we, we work it out. And, I, and then I'll say to them, if you want me to go to court with you, it's going to cost X amount. If you don't want me to go to court with you, it's not going to cost you anything. I usually prepare people. I say, I can write this brief in four to six hours. And then I prep you for about an hour or so before you show up in court. And if for some reason you have to go back before the judge, go into mediation, my divorce coaching hourly fees are much less than my attorney of record fees. And I have more flexibility with it. You will get the exact same zealous representation. I just can't argue in open court and I can't sign my name to your briefs. You have to sign your name to your briefs and you don't live near me. I can't go personally with you to wherever you are unless you're willing to pay for me to go there. But it's important to understand that your original attorney did a good job. Your original attorney, and maybe even you, didn't understand that you were going to be in court again and again and again with this banana head. 
So you might have run out all your funds because you didn't predict any of this. You thought, okay, we'll settle this and life will go on. And now the banana head has you in court all the time and you're not prepared for that. And that is my most common role as a divorce coach. And as I said, divorce encompasses child support, visitation, support, ongoing litigation issues. And I do it both with the harassing texts and emails, and I also do it with the actual court case itself. But this is when a person who knows the law and who knows a personality disorder comes into play. And in addition to that, you have somebody who also understands therapy and moving on and breakups and all these other things. I've worked with the former partners of either the personality disorder, the extremely dysfunctional, the extremely angry, the rageaholics, whatever it is. I've done it for a very long time. So you have that expertise, but I take the fact that, okay, this person needs somebody who can give them a bit of an economic break. And also when I'm looking at your case, I'm also looking on, okay, what do we need to do to put the brakes on this person? This person who's this litigious idiot. We need to figure out a way to put brakes on it. We need to let them know that we're not playing this game anymore. We need to change the steps of the dance. And that is what I'm very, very good at. So anyway, that's how divorce coaching clients tend to come to me because they're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm not going to get out of this crazy litigation landscape with this person anytime soon. And they're going to continue to harass me, harass me, and harass me. And that's usually when I get the call. (laughs) Like, who are you going to call? Me. That's who you're going to call when you have a crazy, litigious, personality disorder, or extremely dysfunctional ex-banana head. I'm the person that you need to call. How she found me is like how a lot of people find me. And she had a lawyer. She had burned through all of her funds. And I was. we started talking about her case because he was dragging her into court for some crazy random thing. And I started telling her what angle to play. They're both proceeding pro se at this point. He wants to play lawyer. And I started laughing at some of the stuff that she was telling me. And then she asked me about divorce coaching and we, and just like my therapy clients, I usually give them a little more than I've charged them for, but I get the job done. If I tell somebody like I did just recently, I can do that brief in four hours and it takes me eight hours. That's my problem. It's not theirs. I'm not going to say, well, you know, I told you it was four hours, but it's really eight hours. So could you pay me double what you paid me? I'm not going to do that. I decided that I wanted to go to court this morning. My client did not have to be in until the afternoon, but I wanted to go because I was not aware of the judge. I didn't know this judge at all. I was trying to find out different things about her and I couldn't find it out. So I'm sitting there and I get there for nine or so. And of course, the judge doesn't waltz out till like 1030, something like that, which is normal. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking any minute now, any minute now, the personality disorder person is going to step up to the podium. I don't know who's going to be. I'm like looking around the galley. I can't try to figure out who's a lawyer, who's a litigant, who's crazy, who's not crazy. And I'm trying to like play guessing games with myself. And people sitting there, they're bored, they're running in and out of the courtroom, they're playing on their phone, they're doing crossword puzzles, all kinds of stuff is going on in court. So so I wanted to go there, I wanted to sit and listen in open court and figure out what this judge was all about and get a feel for her, get a feel for what's going on. And this morning, I couldn't decide who was crazier, 
the litigants, the lawyers, the judge. At one point, I thought her clerk looked like she was just going to tear her hair out and start screaming. And I won't even get into that story because it was one of the nuttiest things that I ever saw. I mean, I could tell you each story for about 20 minutes. We'd be here all night. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking at one point, a personality disorder person is going to step to a podium. And it didn't take long. I mean, it took like three minutes, I think. So I was thinking, all I have to do is pull a name out of a hat and somebody's going to step to a podium who is personality disordered. I just knew it. It was just a matter of minutes in that courtroom. And it happened. And I'm watching this and then things shifted. And you guys know that I've, if you've listened to the Male Stalking podcast, you've read the article, you, I talked about this with the Jody Arias case and the Shane Huber's case. Those of you who don't know, Jody Arias killed Travis Alexander, Shane Huber's killed Ryan Poston. And you know how I feel about murderers like Jody Arias and Shana Ubers, who use what I call the abuse excuse. It's baloney, it's bullshit, and it's an absolute travesty to those of us who have actually been in domestic violence situations that other people are using it. And I've told you guys that I've watched a million episodes of Snapped, and I've actually seen some women on there who could have used the battered women's syndrome because after many, many years of abuse, they didn't have a job. They had kids. They were basically stuck. The guys are drunk. He's abusive, horrible. And when she kills him, she goes away for life without parole. And for me, I've been stunned, absolutely stunned that some of these women would go away to jail and not be able to use the battered women's syndrome as a defense because I thought that they absolutely, absolutely, absolutely qualified for that. Somebody like Jody Arias, somebody like Shani Hubers, absolutely not. They didn't live with the guy. They didn't have kids. And they're traveling all over the place to see the guy that they're going to kill. All of that was preventable. Jody Arias absolutely meditated, absolutely premeditated for a long time. And as somebody who is in an abusive relationship who supports domestic violence victims, I take great offense to people who use any kind of abuse excuse, especially when it doesn't exist. And it doesn't have to be murder. It could be anything. I've seen it over and over again in the last five to 10 years that it's getting so bad where people just go in and they're like, I'm abused, I'm abused, I'm abused. And I'm thinking, you are completely full of crap. I've seen it from men. I've seen it from women. And I saw a former friend of mine, her ex was always screaming abuse. And he was the most abusive sociopathic lunatic I've ever met in my entire life. And he's screaming abuse. CPS was involved. And she actually welcomed CPS's involvement because now there's some oversight and CPS eventually got his number. And as I've talked about on some of the other legal podcasts, the wheels of justice turn slowly and it took a long time. And that family, her and her kids were put through hell. And He was sociopathic. He had absolutely no conscience where he was accusing her child, his stepchild, of sexually abusing the child they had together when no such thing ever happened. And he did not have a shred of conscience that he was doing this to a child and it was absolutely horrible. And it was done for a leg up in a custody battle just did not want to lose. And it's terrible, absolutely terrible. And now judges don't even want to hear from actual domestic violence victims because so many people are playing the games, they're gaming the system, and it's absolutely ridiculous. It's 
garbage. And I've told people, I know that these people are very destructive personality disorder, whether they're a narcissist, whether they're a sociopath, or whether they're just extremely dysfunctional. And I've done many podcasts on this. I've said, don't lose your cool. Don't lose your cool and scream at them. Don't do it. And I saw how frustrated some of my clients have gotten with their personality disorder X. And now I have to go in and I have to clean it up either as an attorney or as a therapist or as a divorce coach, where I have to say, look, no matter what he or she says, and I've seen it on both sides, men and women, no matter what he or she says, don't lose your cool. Don't do it because that's what they're waiting for. When you tweak, they know it. They know they've got you in their crosshairs. Don't do it. And I told this to a friend of mine and I said, don't do it. And she did it. You know, and it was a whole big mess. And really have to play things very, very cool. Jody Arias is a was is a lunatic. She's a narcissist. She's a sociopath. She's a borderline. I think she's got every personality disorder in the world. She travels to murder this guy. It was absolutely premeditated. The rental car, she dyes her hair. And the gas can, the Perry Mason moment that Juan Martinez was able to have in court, which you don't get very, most people don't get Perry Mason moments. They don't exist anymore. But Juan Martinez absolutely had his Perry Mason moment in court with the gas cans. And you know that the murder of Travis Alexander was absolutely premeditated. And everything she said was complete and utter bullshit. And I don't think that Shannon Hubris was as quite as full of shit as Jody Arias, but she's still full of shit. So it really bothers me that people like this have used the abuse excuse and I thought that Jody Arias originally, when I went to listen to that case, was an abused woman who killed her abuser. And that's absolutely what she's not. And I talked on the Watts family murder cases about things that go on on YouTube where there's the Shanann Watts victim blaming. It really, really, really makes me crazy. They accuse her of being a hypochondriac. They accuse her of having Munchausen's because she said her kids had allergies. And every kid has allergies these days. Do your research, which I'm not going to get into now. But if you research it, how allergies have become so prevalent in the last 20 years, and I did it once because I was thinking, I don't remember kids having these allergies when I was a kid. What happened? So I researched it, and it's actually turned out there's a whole bunch of factors as to why it exists. So the stuff that went on with Shanann Watts absolutely drove me bananas because people are so crazy. This was a pregnant woman who was murdered by her lunatic husband, Chris Watts, And Chris Watts is a sociopathic psychopath. He's a lunatic who sits in prison going, well, I hope that people don't judge me on one moment in my life. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Your momentary lapse of common sense and decency, you destroyed your entire family. You murdered those girls. You tortured poor Bella, who knew that you killed her mother, you killed her sister, and you were coming for her. Her last moments on this earth. She was tortured. The daddy that she thought was a hero was coming to kill her. And you don't want people to judge you on that? Yeah, I don't think so. Like, we're judging you, okay? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Such a crazy, crazy guy. And I truly, truly believe that all of his bullshit in prison is just to keep him from getting killed. I don't think he's remorseful. I don't think he sits there every day and goes and is all upset and regrets it and is full of guilt. I just don't believe it. I believe doing that whole thing just to keep from getting killed because I think that those inmates, the inmates in Colorado would love to kill him. The inmates in Wisconsin 
are nicer to him and he's actually enjoying himself more in Wisconsin than he did in Colorado. I don't see where he gets to go to Wisconsin. He's over there saying, oh, well, you know, I hope that people don't judge me in one moment in my life. Oh, please shut up. We're, we're judging you. So just shut up. And then there's all these lunatics talking about she didn't really have lupus and blah, blah, blah. And even my best friend said to me, who has lupus, lupus is really a disease of exclusion, meaning that they exclude all these other things. What they've left is lupus. And I was like, no, I had the symptoms. I went to my doctor. I knew nothing about lupus. So she thought that I had... I had blood work done. I had a scatter positive ANA. She thought that between my symptoms and my blood work that I had rheumatoid arthritis. So she sends me to a rheumatologist and the rheumatologist asks me a bunch of questions, does a bunch of tests and then does more tests. He does a double-stranded DNA test and it comes back positive for lupus. Okay. So you cannot fake a double-stranded DNA test. And I didn't even know what the symptoms of lupus were or that they were looking at it. And my ex-family had lupus. And I just knew that it was a really bad disease. His aunt died of it. And there was a lot of terrible things that went on. So when they were testing me for things, I didn't even know anything about rheumatoid arthritis. I didn't know anything about lupus. And everything came back positive for lupus. And I've had the flares and I've had the symptoms. And I went on Plaquenil. And Plaquenil works when I have a flare. And prednisone works. And prednisone and steroids. And it all makes me very cranky, makes me bloated, the whole nine yards. And lupus is a really terrible disease to live with. So anyway, I really took offense to the really mistaken ideas that people said about lupus and how it came out in the Shanann Watts thing. And it's something that I really objected to because I belong to support groups where we are always talking about people questioning, do we really have lupus? And and other podcasts, I've talked about this, so I'm not going to go in there. But it's like, what am I supposed to do? Take my blood results on my double-stranded DNA test to my forehead? I mean, what should I do? So the last couple of years, they developed a drug. All of lupus has been treated with other drugs that are done off-label. But the last few years, they actually finally developed a drug for lupus and only for lupus. And it's called Benlista. And it was developed absolutely for, for lupus. So I went on chemotherapy last year and after the chemotherapy almost killed me. And of course, like I'm not going to go on chemotherapy for something I don't have. I'm certainly not going to sit there and watch my liver enzymes drop month after month after month and almost die over the whole thing if I don't have it. So finally, my doctor took me off of that and put me on Binlista. And after five months, I think that it might be actually kicking in. And if I didn't have lupus, I wouldn't be feeling better. I felt horrible for a year straight, a year straight. So anyway, let's go back to court. Yes, we're going back to court. So I'm sitting in court and there's a defendant. It's a woman. She's rambling on and on and on. And I'm sure she's personality disorder. Absolutely sure she's personality disorder. But I'm thinking she might be borderline because she's talking about him abandoning her and she's losing her mind over the whole thing. The judge is trying to be patient because she's pro se and the plaintiff has a lawyer. So the judge actually gives them, most judges do, give pro se people a little more rope. And sometimes they hang themselves and sometimes they don't. So I'm listening to this woman. I'm thinking, oh my God, like she's a mental case. And I'm thinking, she, I think she's borderline because she's talking about, all she kept talking about was how he promised he would never leave and then he left and blah, blah, blah. And now we're on the Jerry Springer show instead of in court. And I'm sitting there and I'm just looking at her going, oh my goodness, what is going on with this woman? And the judge is looking at her too, like, can we wrap this all up? And there was a lot of people in court who had been playing on their phone and doing crossword puzzles. And now they're listening to her because she's just rambling on about all this crazy stuff. 
She's not making any sense. And everybody in the courtroom is looking at her. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what the hell is she talking about? I wish I recorded it because it's totally, totally nuts. And I'm trying to keep up with it and I couldn't. And but I'm sitting there this day and I'm going crazy, crazy. Oh my God. I just want to say to whoever is the partner of the personality disorder, I know personality disorders. I'm a therapist. I'm a lawyer. I'm a divorce coach. Would you like to talk to me about this? But I don't do that because I would be tantamount to ambulance chasing in the courthouse and the judge might want to sanction me for something. But I could have been there with the butterfly net. When I did psychiatric services in Massachusetts, the paper that you have to write on to to force somebody into the hospital for a psychiatric evaluation is on pink paper. So we would talk about pink paper and people, which basically we are going to take you, we're going to put you in the hospital and against your will, and we're going to evaluate you. So I'm sitting there in court last week going, I need to pink paper like half the people that are here, including some of the mediators, some of the judges, some of the lawyers, and definitely some of the parenting coordinators. So I'm listening to this woman go on and on and on. and. Then it happens and she says the magic words and I wanted to jump out of the galley and just strangle her. She says, I have lupus. And I went, oh my God, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. This is getting to be like the abuse excuse, the chronic disease excuse. And she says, he's stressing me out so much because the judge is trying to figure out why she's suing him for all this money when it's his paper and she's just in opposition. Nobody can figure out a paper. Apparently nobody can out of papers. Nobody could figure out what her claims were. The judge can't make heads or tails of any of this because, of course, she doesn't have a lawyer and she thinks she's Perry Mason. You know, we're all sitting there. And the funny thing was like when the lawyer was talking, when the plaintiff's lawyer was talking, the guy who's not personality disordered, he's talking about procedural stuff to the judge. And all of a sudden she starts objecting like she's objecting to procedure. And I don't know what's going on here. She's objecting to procedural issues. Then she goes, I have lupus. He sparked a flare. I was out of work for three weeks and I wasn't working and I didn't have any money. And now I know that you can absolutely have a lupus flare triggered by stress. And I've had it. I used to work with a woman just very recently who was absolutely impossible. I worked with her like a year or so ago, right before I went on chemo. And I was throwing up on the train every day and I had to leave work. It was just absolutely ridiculous. She would just say the most ridiculous things to me. And I had sent our complaint to an expert and I'd asked her about something. The expert was going to testify for us. And I'd asked her something. She was screaming. She was always screaming about how junior associates were always coming to her. She couldn't get her work done. And that guy over there, he was home with his kids and she was out with her boyfriend. And now it's eight o'clock at night. I'm not home with my kid. This is how she would go off all the time. And you would just ask her a question. So I had to go off and find out how to do these things on my own. How do they do in the office? So what I did was I looked through people that were there before me and try to figure out how they had done things. So the woman who was in my office who had been working with her, and apparently the woman left the firm because they couldn't get along. And I think the wrong person left because I had sent the complaint to the expert because the woman who had the case before me had sent a complaint to another expert on another case. I took over most of her cases. And so this woman's screaming at me. She's like, I don't know how they did it where you used to work, but we don't send complaints to experts. It costs them costs too much money for them to do this and blah, blah, blah. You're making me look bad. And I'm like, I'm making you look bad. How am I making you look bad? So I hadn't said a word. This had been going on for months, months and months. And I didn't say a word. I was just looking at her. About two hours after this explosion in my office, which was just completely unwarranted, completely unfair. And I was 
thinking, I have to talk to my boss one of these days about this, but she was there for like 15 years. I was there for like 15 months. I mean, who's going to win? Let's be serious about this. And she never did her functional shit in front of the bosses, which made me absolutely nuts, but she did it in front of me all the time. And I just don't put up with this shit more from people. So I really loved the job. I loved everybody else in the firm. I loved the work, but her, I, I looked and I started flaring about a week after that conversation. And that had been building for months and months and months. She had other flip outs like that. And I absolutely believe that she caused my lupus flare. Right after that conversation, I couldn't get lupus under control. And I hadn't had a flare in many months. My rheumatologist says my disease is very active but I hadn't had a, had a flare in, in a bunch of months. And all of a sudden, I was just in the ditch with it. I was sick every single day. Every bone in my body hurt. I had lupus brain fog. I had all kinds of things going on. My chest is full of fluid. I'm wheezing all over the place. I'm getting butterfly rash in the middle of the winter. In the summertime, you could kind of look like, but in the middle of winter, it looks like, what the hell were you doing? So I start flaring. That was in December. By February, I'm on chemo. And by March, I'm throwing up in my laptop bag every day on the train. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. So I had to leave work. And after that, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. And after she did that, it gotten so bad, I couldn't even respond to her. And she would say things to me like, you're trying to undermine me. And I would think, I'm not trying to undermine you. What are you talking about? I mean, she was so crazy. So I didn't say to my boss, look, I have lupus and now I'm flaring and she's upsetting me and anything. But it's like the abuse excuse. And I don't believe that Jody Arias and Shani Hubers and all these other people that are trying to use the abuse excuse, whatever it is, I don't believe they were ever abused. And I don't know if this woman was in court, had lupus. Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I don't know, but I've been hearing this a lot lately. And people who are not taking responsibility for their own diseases, if you're a healthy person, I mean mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, if you have lupus, you're not really physically healthy, but I don't want people to start using lupus and other chronic diseases as excuses. It's very hard when you're a chronic patient, when you have an autoimmune disease, it's very difficult. Yes, stress absolutely does trigger it, but you can't go around like you have a meter on your belt going, okay, well, that'll cost you $25, that'll cost you $25, let's stress. And I don't want other people, other people are bad enough about lupus. Oh, you don't look sick. But I don't want people to go around talking about this the way they do with the abuse excuse. Don't try to tell people, well, now you owe me $2,000 because I was out of work for three weeks because you triggered a flare. Take responsibility for yourself. And I believe that she caused stress and she caused the lupus, but I am responsible. It The treatment almost killed me more than the disease did, but I had to go and take care of myself for many, many months. It was difficult to even crawl out of bed. It was the worst experience of my life. All these different things went on. I could talk about this for another hour. But when you have something, you can't go in court thinking, well, this person hurt me, triggered a stress reaction, which triggered a flare, and now I need money. I don't want people to start thinking that people are using an excuse like lupus because, yeah, many times we look perfectly fine. I mean, we're not going to be in a wheelchair. I've had a cane. I've had all kinds of support for my hands and my ankles and things like that. But you can't be using lupus or any other chronic disease. Or if you have cancer, you have this, you have that. You can't be using that as an excuse to make other people 
people responsible for what you're responsible for. And I've been hearing this lately and I wanted to stop. I don't want people, even if you have lupus, even if somebody did cause a flare and stress you out and blah, blah, blah. There are people out there. They will stress you out. When you have lupus, stress can trigger a flare. But you have to learn to be responsible. If you're in recovery from a bad relationship, from a broken relationship, from this, from that, you have to take responsibility for yourself. A healthy person takes responsibility for him or herself. You have to do that. I don't want to start hearing this crap around lupus or any other chronic disease like I've been hearing with the abuse stuff because judges are turning a deaf ear to the abuse excuse. And I don't want them to start turning a deaf ear to when you actually have a problem that cause the flare. You can't charge everybody else for your flares. It's nonsense. It's crazy. Don't do it. Lupus patients have a hard enough time with people who don't think we look sick enough or suspect that you really can't prove that you have lupus. And lupus is a crazy disease. Sometimes you have symptoms, sometimes you don't, sometimes you have this symptom, sometimes that symptom. And it's really, really crazy. So I'm asking people not to do that, whether it's lupus or some other disease, whatever. Don't start taking your disease and using it the way other people have been using domestic violence or other things to get things that they don't deserve. So don't do that. So the judge was very sympathetic to her and casually and calmly explained to her that you cannot go and you cannot charge somebody for a lupus flare. So my client actually did very well in court that day. The judge was very sympathetic to her and I had helped her with her outline. I had helped her with a case and we had talked about it. And then the judge sent them out to try to talk to the mediator. And this is what's important. And I'm going to go into part B about more stuff with going to court with the personality order. 